The scripture reading this morning is from Luke chapter 14. There are three different sections. They're all out of Luke 14. The verses 1 through 3. On one occasion, when Jesus was going to the house of a leader of the Pharisees to eat a meal on the Sabbath, they were watching him closely. Just then, in front of him, there was a man who had dropsy. And Jesus asked the lawyers and Pharisees, is it lawful to cure people on the Sabbath or not? Verses 7 and 8. When he noticed how the guest chose the places of honor, he told them a parable. When you are invited by someone to a wedding banquet, banquet, do not sit down at the place of honor in case someone more distinguished than you has been invited by your host. Verses 15 through 18. One of the dinner guests, on hearing this, said to him, Blessed is anyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Then Jesus said to him, Someone gave a great dinner and invited many. At the time for the dinner, he sent his slave to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is ready now. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I've bought a piece of land, and I must go out and see it. Please accept my regrets. The word of the Lord. There we go. All right. Um, we've been looking at, at stories where Jesus eats with people in the Gospel of Luke throughout this season of Lent. We've got just a couple more of these. Next week we'll be looking at, at the visit of Zacche uh, Jesus at Zacchaeus' house. And then on Easter Sunday we'll look at uh, um, a breakfast where they share a meal together on the beach on the road to, Dema uh, to Emmaus. Here's what we find in our chapter for today. We find Jesus sitting at a meal with Pharisees, and there are other Pharisees there, religious leaders, scribes, that is lawyers who are also attending this meal. And they're all sitting together having a meal, and he teaches them essentially three things. So there's three parts to this story, this experience of Jesus at this Pharisee's house. And each part has its own point or its own lesson for us today. And this is how the chapter begins. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to share a meal in the home of one of the leaders of the Pharisees, they were watching him closely. Now, this is one of three meals that Jesus eats with Pharisees in the Gospel of Luke. 
You might remember from last week, he was at a Pharisee's home, and you might remember that the Pharisees were very interested in Jesus. At first, they thought he was like one of them um, because they agreed on so many things. The Pharisees were deeply devoted uh, followers of God. They loved the law, and they studied the law, and they wanted to please God, and they knew that Jesus was like them in that same way, that Jesus was a follower of God. Um, Jesus would teach in the synagogues. The Pharisees would teach in the synagogues. The Pharisees knew the law um, front and back and would teach it. Jesus knew the law and, and would teach about the kingdom. Um, but so, so they assumed that he was one of them. But here's the thing about the Pharisees. You remember that the word Pharisee means separated one. And uh, the Pharisees were the ones who believed that to please God, you had to separate yourself from anything or anyone that might make you ceremonially unclean or religiously defiled. And so uh, you follow the rules and you stay away from people who might make you unclean. And some of these people are often in, in need of help, but you follow the rules as a Pharisee. There were 613 laws in the Old Testament in the Hebrew Bible. You know, there are the Ten Commandments, which are the ten main guiding uh, commandments. And uh, the problem, however, is if you're living a life that's focused on following rules, is that uh, you got to figure out how to apply, interpret, and apply those rules to all the little things that happen during your day. Um, and so this is where they lived as they were constantly trying to ask, have we done enough to live up to the rules, to God's laws? And so they created more rules to go with those rules. We'll take as an example the Sabbath, rules around the Sabbath. And this became a major point of contention between the Pharisees and Jesus. You remember in the Ten Commandments, the fourth commandment is to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall work, but on the seventh day you shall rest because God created the world in six days and God rested on the seventh, so you're meant to rest one day honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. And so they said, okay, that's great. We're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. I got that. But what does it mean to work? What counts as work? If I, if I make my breakfast, does that count as work? If I get a haircut, is that work? Um, if I mow my lawn on the Sabbath, is that work? If I exercise or work out on the Sabbath, is that work? How far can I actually walk on the Sabbath? And so they had to create all these rules in order to follow the one main rule, which is to honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. In fact, as they teased this out, they came up with 39 categories of things you cannot do on the Sabbath. They're all adjectives. You can Google this and look them up. Um, many still practice them today. Things like tying or untying or smashing or, or crushing or grinding or cooking. 39 different categories. And with every one of those 39 categories, there were maybe a dozen other things that you couldn't do under that category. So now the one commandment that says honor the Sabbath day and keep it holy has now turned into over a hundred rules of things that you can and can't do on the Sabbath. 
um, in order to avoid violating the commandment. Here's the thing. Jesus came along, and while he never violated the will of God, he broke the Pharisees' rules left and right. He had very little interest in following their rules. We witnessed this in the story last week when Jesus went to a Pharisee's home and the Pharisees were amazed that Jesus didn't ceremonially wash his hands before dinner, a rule that they created. He didn't pay attention to that. God's looking at your heart. He is not as concerned whether you pour water over your hands and say a prayer. And when it came to the Sabbath, this is where Jesus really irritated the Pharisees. So throughout Jesus' ministry, you know, he's uh, going into synagogues and he's teaching in the synagogues on the Sabbath. And there are sick people who show up for worship while he's teaching. And those sick people come up to him. They hear that he's a healer and they want him to heal them. And here's the thing. The rules said that if you're a doctor... And someone comes up to you and is sick and wants you to heal them, that you cannot heal that person on the Sabbath unless they're going to die. If they're going to die that day, then you can heal them. If they're not going to die, then you need to tell them to come back tomorrow, please, um, because today is the Sabbath. Now, of course, uh, doctors will chuckle at this because how do you know if someone's going to die or not, right? I mean, there's a risk, and, and you've got to do an assessment. Maybe you need to actually do a little work to figure out, but nonetheless, that's, that's the rule. Um, and, uh, and Jesus is preaching in the synagogues, and people come up to him in need. What do you think he does? Does Does he say, well, um, I don't think you're going to die today. Come back tomorrow. No, he doesn't do that. He stops and he heals them um, almost every single time. And, uh, and he does this multiple times. And by the time we get to the story where we are in 14th chapter of Luke, there are already five instances of conflict between Jesus and the Pharisees for him violating their rules on the Sabbath. And so again, we read here one Sabbath when Jesus went to share a meal with the home of one of the leaders of the Pharisees, as we said uh, already, they were watching him closely. Well, why were they watching him closely? Because they wanted to make sure that he wasn't going to break any of their rules. And they wanted to actually, they kind of assumed that he would break their rules, so they wanted to trap him and catch him and these sorts of things. And this is what we read next. Just then in front of him, at this meal, at the Pharisee's house, there was a man who had dropsy. Dropsy is an old term. We use the term edema now. It's a swelling of the body. Um, How would anybody know that there was a man there who had this kind of abnormal swelling of the body? He had clothes on, right? Wasn't he clothed and covered up? Yes, except for his hands, his feet, and his ankles. And now this man doesn't come up to Jesus and say, Jesus, please heal me. Remember, this is a Sabbath day. They're at a Pharisee's house. This person who's suffering in this way is going to live to see another day. So he's honoring the rules of the Pharisees, even though he's a victim of their rules. And he is the one is kind of obeys that, doesn't say anything, but Jesus notices him. Jesus is aware of his surroundings. He knows who's around him. He scans the room and somehow he can tell. Maybe he can see the swelling in his ankles or in his feet. Um, When I was a 
a hospital chaplain intern as part of our, our pastor training. We got to uh, spend uh, several months full-time interning in a hospital setting. And I was in Orange, California at St. Joseph Hospital, and they assigned me to the renal center. And, uh, and I, I saw many patients uh, like this who had this, this kind of um, suffering. And I remember the first person that I saw and, uh, and, and I remember seeing his, his ankles, his feet swelling, and, uh, and it actually hurt me to, to look at this person. Um, it looked as though this, his skin was like tearing itself apart. And this must have been what, what Jesus witnessed when he saw this person. Um, something like this. Maybe he watched him walk into that place and just the pain of walking with, with ankles and feet that are swollen like that. And Jesus looks at him and Jesus has compassion for this person who is suffering. The man didn't ask for anything, but Jesus went to him. And then Jesus asked the lawyers and Pharisees this question. Is it lawful to cure people on the Sabbath or not. And the text says that they were silent. The Pharisees, the religious leaders, they were silent. What do you think Jesus does in their silence? He heals the man, of course, right? Maybe they could see the skin drawing closer. Maybe they could see the swelling going down as Jesus delivers this man from his suffering. Why? Because Jesus has compassion and because for Jesus, people always come before rules as Gail shared with us in the children this morning. And this is the first lesson from this morning's text. For Jesus, people always come before rules rules. That's a huge difference between Jesus and the Pharisees. I was thinking about what this looks like and an obvious example would have been during um, Nazi Germany in World War II. There were Christians throughout in, in almost every country who um, would hide Jewish people in their homes and so the Nazis would come knock on their doors and would say, do you have any Jews living here? And they would say, no, I don't have any, we don't have any Jews living here. You know, the Bible tells us that we are not to lie, that we are not to bear false witness, and that we are to obey the governing authorities. And yet, here is a, per when people are in need, you might remember Corrie ten Boom. Uh, she was a Dutch watchmaker and later a Christian writer and public speaker. And uh, she worked with her father, her sister, and other family members to hide over a hundred Jews uh, as, uh, and help them to escape by hiding them in her home in Holland during the Holocaust. They were caught and she was arrested and sent to Ravensbrück concentration camp. Eventually she um, was released and she wrote a book, her most famous book was called The Hiding Place. It's a biography that tells the stories of hope that she had and shared with others as they were in the concentration camp. Corrie ten Boom was part of the Dutch Reformed Church, which is theological cousin to the Scottish Presbyterians, which is our, our theological tradition. And, uh, and she essentially started what became known as the Dutch resistance to Hitler and, and his movement. They did the thing that pleased God because it wasn't about the rule. It was about helping people who were in need.
Jesus captured the essence of the law in this one rule. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. On these two things hang all the law and the prophets, all your 613 commands, all your 39 categories of Sabbath. On all of this is found its essence in the ethic of love. And that leads to the second lesson for today. Jesus is eating dinner at this house, uh, and then he tells essentially three more dinner stories. So there's actually like four dinner scenes going on in this one little uh, chapter. So he's eating dinner. He tells the story of a couple dinners. Um, there's several meals, and this is what happens next. When he noticed how the guests chose the places of honor, he told them a parable. When, you're in, when you are invited by someone to a wedding banquet, don't sit down at the place of honor in case someone more distinguished than you have, has been invited. We think that the tables that they sat at were U-shaped tables. And the best seat was perhaps the seat that was directly across from the guest of honor. Now the host would sit in the center um, and at the Last Supper, the Lord's Supper, on which we will look at on Maundy Thursday, Jesus would have been the host sitting in the center and Judas on his left and uh, John on his right and Peter around the bend. But at this, the Pharisee's house, the Pharisee would have been at the center. Jesus would have been off to the side most likely. And we think that the, the best seat in the house, the seat of honor, is the seat that's directly across from the guest of honor, in this case Jesus, so that that person could have the most direct view and opportunity to hear everything that the guest of honor um, would say. So that's what we think when we think of in terms of this. And so Jesus is watching people. They're bumping into each other and they're jockeying for the best seat in the house so that they can hear from Jesus and, and see what he has to say. And Jesus says to them, don't do that. Find the lowest seat. If you're really going to be involved, you're really interested in my teaching and being my follower and living in the kingdom of God, place yourself beneath and lift others up. Um, take say this, for all who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. This is a virtue that we see throughout the scriptures uh, that is, is part of one of the values of what it means to live in the kingdom of God, to put others before self. Um, Philippians 2 is known as the Christ hymn, and that really captures the whole theology of this. Um, and so, so the, first, the first lesson is that people come before rules and compassion is preeminent. And the second is that we humble ourselves. We take the lowest seat instead of the best seat. Do we do this because we've, we've, we're meant to you know, feel poorly about ourselves and, and to really think badly about ourselves and that others are better than us? Actually, it's just the opposite. We choose to lay ourselves down before others and lift others up 
because we are blessed by the grace of God, because we know we are loved, we know that God has got us, and so we can be generous and let others go ahead of us. If you've ever been to uh, the grocery store, I mean, of course you've all been in the grocery store, but let's just say you've got, you're going to a grocery store and you've got to run in really quick to buy one item and you've got to get out of there and get to a soccer game. Um, such is my life. And uh, so you run in there really quick and you find your one item, sunscreen, not today, but in August. And, uh, and you go, like you're going to check out and all of the individual personal checkout things are booked and there's a long line. And so you don't go into that line. You get into one of the main lines and you get stand right behind and right in front of you is a person with an entire cart filled with groceries. And you know it's going to take that person about 20 minutes to get through that line and you're going to be late to the soccer game. But that person has been shopping there for over an hour. Uh, You don't have a right to go in front of them. It's their prerogative. But they look over and they see you and they see that you only have one item and out of the overflowing generosity of their heart they say, hey, you only have one item. Why don't you go ahead of me in line? They do that not because they feel poorly about themselves, but because they feel good about themselves. It's the kind of the same thing for Christians when it comes to our relationship with other people. We're grateful for the grace of God in our lives, and we can therefore be generous and let others go ahead of us in line first. Humility is not thinking less of ourselves. It's thinking of ourselves less. When I know that I'm loved, I don't have to think about myself and my needs and make sure that I know everything's going to be fine. All right. Um, Jesus concluded his lesson with the Pharisees with one last teaching, one last story, and I'll wrap it up. He made a third point. It's very very different than the other two points, but it's important for us. Listen to to this. For all who, next uh, passage, I think, uh, Kathy in the back, verse 15. All right. Uh, One of the dinner guests on hearing this said to him, blessed is any who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God was understood to be God's reign, God's will. When, when God's way, when God gets God's way, that's the kingdom of God. And people usually thought of it as something that would happen in the future, like, like heaven. Um, but Jesus also talks about the kingdom as something that is available for us right here and today. It begins with us today. He said to them, someone gave, gave a great dinner and invited many. At the time for the dinner, he sent his slave to say to those who had been invited, come for everything is ready. But all alike, they began to make excuses. It's interesting here, there's a certain someone who's holding a banquet in this parable. As is the case with many parables, this certain someone is God. So this is supposed to be an image of heaven. God is holding this banquet. And repeatedly in the Bible, all his hearers would have recognized this. The feasts, the wedding feasts, the banquets, they're all metaphors for heaven and for when the kingdom will come to earth. And so we think about beloved psalms like, 
Um, you set before me a table in the presence of my enemies, or you spread out a table in the wilderness for me. When you hear these stories about dinner banquets, it's a, it's a future promise of a day that will come. God feeds us. We see it in Revelation as well. But here, he says that a certain someone invited all these people to come to the banquet. He's prepared the banquet. He's invited people to come, but they make excuses. They were too busy to come to the table. And so in the end, God starts inviting everybody and everyone. And this is really meant to be about Israel. Israel is, their, is kind of the first chosen race. And Jesus has decided that they have turned away. And so God's going to extend this invitation far and wide. Um, the people didn't come because they made excuses. And they missed out on the great banquet. So, of course, for us, the reflection is... Um, the fact that often we are too busy for things that matter most in our lives. Too busy for God. We have lots of excellent excuses as to why we don't have time. Um, and this is nothing new. We know we live in a modern world. And it's a very busy time and the yada yada and this and that. But they, humans struggled with this in the first century too. And Jesus understood that. Um, I wonder if there are times when you're too busy for God. Here are a couple of illustrations of what this looks like. Here's a sheep, and uh, there he is. Um, he's reading a sheep magazine. He has earphones in. He's got another radio off to the side. He has a computer on, a la on his lap, a TV in front of him. There's the shepherd off in the distance calling to him, and he is saying, I wonder why I don't hear from my shepherd anymore. Sure, we, we know this story all too well. Um, here's another one that kind of stings a little bit. This is a poem. Mummy was busy on Instagram when beautiful Bubby fell out of the pram and lay on the path unseen and alone, wishing that he was loved like a phone. <laughs> Are we too busy for that which matters most? in our lives. Many of us are driven. Many of us are type A. We fill our lives with so many things. And I know I do that. Um, and, uh, and we can miss out on things that, that matter most in our lives. Are you too busy for that which matters most? And have you been too busy for God? Well, I just encourage you that you came here today and coming to worship is one of the primary ways in which we say yes to God and we gather together to put first things first, to remind ourselves of what our priorities are and what are our highest values. Um, and so, in conclusion, remember that people always come before rules. Compassion is preeminent in the imagination of Jesus. Second, I want to remind you that others come before the self. Jesus laid down his life for his friends and we're meant to serve and to have that same kind of humility. And then third, I would encourage you to be people who put first things first, to keep your priorities straight and don't make excuses for not attending the banquet of our Lord. Let's pray. Lord, help us to have compassion like you had compassion. Help us to put people before rules. Help us to choose the lowest place at the table to humble ourselves in your sight, to serve others before ourselves. Forgive us, Lord, for the times we've been too busy, too busy to pray or worship, 
too busy to open our Bibles and listen. And help us in this time to put first things first, to love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, to love our families well, and to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. In your holy name.